Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the PocketLint Podcast. This week was the 25th anniversary of the original Sony PlayStation going on sale in the US and the smart money... The smart money was on Sony using that occasion to announce a release date and price for its next-gen gaming console, the PS5. But don't forget, this is 2020, and so things don't always go to planned or as expected. Instead, this week has been dominated by Xbox, with news not only of the new console, the Xbox Series S, but pricing for the Series X, the top-of-the-range model, as well. Pocket Lint's Rick Henderson joins us in a bit to tell us more. Rick's also been talking to the COO of BT Sport about the company's new streaming app and how it plans to make things, well, a little bit easier to access. While Pocalint's reviews editor Mike Lowe has been one of the very few people in the world to play with the new Motorola Razr 5G. That's their new folding device. Is it the one to put in your pocket? Keep listening to find out. But first, Rick, tell us what's happened with Xbox. Well, Xbox had basically put out... It all started with a leak on Twitter. Um, a video had leaked overnight. So Xbox decided to rush plans to announce both the Xbox Series S in full and the pricing, etc., of Xbox Series X. Now, um, the biggest news for me isn't just that the Xbox Series S comes in at an incredible £250, which I don't think anybody saw coming. A next-generation games console for the price of essentially the beginning entry level of the current generation. That is that is quite staggering. But the biggest story was really Xbox All Access. Now, this actually already existed. I know people that bought an Xbox One S on All Access a while back. It's essentially a mobile phone style contract where for 24 months you pay a monthly fee for your console and it works out a lot easier to spread it over a longer distance. Now, what's unique and especially in comparison to, say, a phone contract for Xbox is that they don't take extra money on top they don't suddenly slap on a massive surcharge just for you paying monthly you're actually paying essentially for the console itself in its entirety and in fact people have worked it out it actually turns out to be cheaper to do it via xbox all access than to buy the console um, alone and then subscribe to xbox game pass which you actually get as part of the xbox all access so right. it that's that's a mind-boggling thing. Hmm. Well, obviously, they're keen to make you know get people to subscribe. We're in a very much a subscriber culture now. And and what happens at the end of the two years? You keep the console, or do you have to give it back? Uh, you get to keep the console completely. Now, Game Pass is, already exists. Um, I subscribe to it. Lots of other people do, and in fact, it's very very popular on the Xbox One. Um, it essentially, it's ten pound ninety nine, or um, I think it's fourteen ninety nine dollars in the US um, for access to over 200 games plus Xbox Live Gold plus Xbox Game Pass 
for PC, so over 100 PC games if you do have a gaming PC. Plus, uh, coming in November, EA Play, which is every single Electronic Arts back catalogue game um, for completely just as part of that, that bundle. Plus... Coming next week, Project X Cloud, the game, uh, the cloud gaming service. So, wow. so all of that is combined in this ten pound ninety nine per month membership fee. So, add on to that for twenty pound ninety nine an Xbox Series S, which includes Game Pass, and you can see that you're only paying ten pound a month for the brand new next generation console. Yeah. If you want the Xbox Series X, then it's £28.99 a month, but then that's only £18 every month for the best console on the planet, or at least the most powerful console on the planet. Now, where this sets PlayStation, I'm not quite sure. They, uh, PlayStation is yet to announce the release date and the pricing for its consoles, um, but I, I think it's going to struggle. I think it's going to struggle to compete in that terms it does have better games, though, or at least it seems to. And that's the thing, isn't it? What do you think someone at, at PlayStation is sitting there doing? Do you think they've gone, OMG, like, how are we going to reply to this? Or do you think, because they've, up until now, it's been PlayStation, PlayStation, everybody's thinking they're going to, you know, it's always about who's going to win the next console war. But it seems to have been that PlayStation's in their favor. They've they've showcased some really good games. They've got a strong lineup, powerful, powerful console. And here we are. Suddenly, Xbox, on the 25th anniversary of when the PlayStation was first launched in the US, sort of stealing the show for the week. Yeah, I think actually PlayStation would have sat there and gone, wow, well, we're not sure. I think I think the reason why they did that is because they knew that All Access already existed for Xbox One. So they wouldn't be surprised by All Access and, and what's being on offer. But what will have, will have surprised them is the price for the Xbox Series S, which is admittedly not as fully specced as the Xbox Series X and unlikely to be as fully specced as the PlayStation 5. But it is still a compelling next generation machine it will still play ray it will still have ray tracing in its graphics it will still play the latest games at a very good quality okay the final question i have is if you know if i'm buying someone an xbox for christmas and i get them an s will they be disappointed in comparison to the x um then i i mean you're talking about a massive price uh, differential so um most people would kind of use that as the uh, as the uh, the yardstick um but uh i don't think so personally all the games will work on it the only difference really for the casual gamer between the xbox series s and the xbox series x is that the x will run games in full 4k all bells and whistles and has a 4k blu-ray drive the xbox series s runs games in 1440p, which is still better than full HD, um, and still the higher frame rates, but doesn't have a disk drive. So I think if you were a kid and you woke up on Christmas morning and you had an Xbox Series S under the tree, I think you'd be very grateful indeed anyway, because it looks to be a fantastic machine. Still to come, Mike gives us his verdict on the Motorola Razr 5G smartphone. Because it's like nothing else, and, and the thing is, it might just sound completely illogical to have something like that, but the more I've kind of existed alongside it, the more I'm using it in a certain way, and it's like, oh, it kind of does make sense. 
Long gone are the days of watching live sports on a single TV or in the pub. We can now watch matches when we're traveling or even just wandering around our homes. And we don't even need a traditional pay TV subscription to do so. BT Sport is one of the broadcasters that is embracing the modern age, offering an app to allow us to watch footy and other sports when and wherever we want. It's recently added to sports across additional devices, and our own Rick Henderson caught up with the brand COO, Jamie Heinhorn, to find out why sports fans are happy to turn to tech to satisfy their passion. So hi, Jamie. Um, you've recently rolled out the BT Sport app to Roku, Fire TV and Android TV. Um, and that rollout sort of like spans an already quite healthy selection of devices that you cover. Do you find that people are watching sports coverage in a different way now on multiple devices? Yeah, I think it, it, it falls in with the current trend of people having multiple devices in their house, for instance, or people being on the go. Um, and obviously our ambition is to make BT Sport as widely available as possible to our, our customers. And it gives you in the home, it gives you that second screen experience if you've got one of the compatible devices. Uh, and it's just an assuring that um, our customers can access BT Sport as easy as possible on the device of their preference. Are there a lot more people, say, for example, watching on mobile? Um, I say that through uh, personal um, experience of having a, a a son in his um in his 20s who pretty much watches bt sport only on his mobile yeah i think i think um there's always that conversation about that trend but i think the one thing the simple answer on this is always is people will tend to watch live sport on the biggest screen available but the availability of that biggest screen changes and of course um Qualities improve so much so for instance through our, our bt sport app on mobile you can watch in hdr um, and it's 4K capture distributed HD HDR and the quality and the experience on your mobile is, is excellent, to be honest. So I think I think what it does is it fits into our busy lifestyles about um, depending where you are, what screen you have access to. Um, and I don't think mobile is seen as a poor substitute anymore. I think it's seen as as preference for some people, as you indicated. Um, but I use mobile a heck of a lot because I can be doing other things. I can be in my garden um etc still still being in contact with the game and still experiencing a great viewing experience as well um uh, the other thing i noticed about the bt sport app that uh, it provides more than say if you subscribe through a paid tv service is catch up um i'm a big uh, as well as a big massive football fan i'm also a big fan of wwe mm-hmm. and i find that the highlights packages and the catch up is essential yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, again, it just turns in all of our lifestyles are very different now, aren't they? And, and you tend to be able to want to choose what you want to watch when you want to watch it. And, uh, you know, I'm really proud of what we did with the WWE, for instance, where the, the live catch ups are available immediately after the live events. Um, so it, it's very much like um, most broadcasters are going down with all their different, you know, like iPlayer, etc. It's about making content available to suit the needs of the audience. You also mentioned a little while earlier um, 4K HDR and, of course, mm-hmm. BT Sport Ultimate. Uh, in fact, BT Sport was the first, really, to broadcast 4K HDR football. And uh, yeah, still is, <laughs> pretty we, much. We, well, we, I think we are the only broadcaster live week in, week out doing 4K uh, HDR with Dolby Atmos as well. Yes, we're very proud of that. and We're into our second season for that. Do you think that will expand and also expand to other sports and other events? Yes, I mean, we, we are moving to a situation where all of the um, productions that we do the production on for broadcast, so Premier League, FA Cup, 
uh, Champions League home games, Europa League home games, um, and rugby, um, boxing as well. We actually capture in 4K HDR now, um, and we make as much as we can available live in that format. And uh, we've always always been a great believer that you know the best place to to watch an event is at the event but if you can't we want to give our customers the experiences they are at the event i mean picture quality um the hdr brings in so you're seeing the same colors as you would at a game um which you don't in normal sdr as you will know um so it's all part of that and, and i think there is demand for it. i think live sport that that feeling like you've got a window onto the pitch is really really important audio too of course yes audio i mean audio is um that that's the biggest biggest um step we made i think because as you all know audio enhances your viewing experience by 60 percent. so the picture quality looks better if your audio is better um so we so we focus very heavily on that and, and you combine that with fantastic 4k pictures and hdr then you've got a really compelling viewing experience was the app always part of the long-term digital strategy for BT Sport, or was it, or has it kind of evolved over time? No, it's always it's always been part of the long long-term strategy. I mean, we launched um, the upgraded app in 2015 with the Champions League, with the um, you know the live uh, timeline in game, all the VOD stuff, etc. Uh, the 360, uh, and you'll notice a lot of our innovation focuses on on that experience through the app and and. You know, long term, there's obviously a real attraction in feeds being delivered over IP um, because that enables you to you change from broadcasting one to many for, to broadcasting one to one. And that obviously leads down the route around personalization and giving customers more choice about how they engage with content. Yeah, and that's that's quite a big thing. Um, you mentioned Champions League. Um, do you think interactivity will play an even bigger part? with the uh, with the sort of like the certainly the football viewing experience in future yeah I, th- I think it already does I, I think um you know um if you look at the engagement with our app and i do think we've got um one of the best in class in the market um things like the time timeline things like goal alerts that then you can then switch to another game all of those things help don't they? They help you when you're watching the game, to, and especially with something like Champions League, where you've got six games going on at the same time. It gives you that real flavour and feeling uh, of that competition with multiple games happening, so that you keep across it all, uh, and it drives the excitement. You know, a score somewhere else can have a real impact on the game you're watching, and to be able to nip in and look at what's going on there, uh, and all of that being curated within that app environment, I think is phenomenal. Do you think that the current situation that we're now in, where um, you can't, you know, stadiums cannot have fans inside, so we all have to watch on uh, on a screen, is helping drive the multiple device nature of broadcasting? Yeah, I think so. I think um, for me, you know, live sport coming back during these times was, was one of the things that that helped us all feel a bit of normality and it's a bit of escapism, isn't it, when you can go in and watch it? And I think it, it's just again people. Um, having the opportunity to use different devices to be able to engage with that uh, time. You know, I, I experienced it when my kids were at school, you know, competing for the likes of Netflix, um, Amazon Prime, as well as me wanting to watch BT Sport. So um, having that multiple platform opportunities means that we're all, we're all satisfied. Um, do you think um, digital viewing could ever really replace traditional paid TV platforms? Um, I think you're mixing two things there. I think 
we are a pay TV platform that also delivers our content um, digitally. Um, and I think all, all you're really talking about is what method of delivery, i.e. is it a pipe or is it over satellite uh, or is it over the air? And I, and I think, yes, I think over time, I think absolutely um, delivery over IP um, will become the norm. Excellent. Um, and I suppose another thing that uh, that I can ask is is whether or not um, the technology uh, technology technological advancements will progress, and we'll see even bigger advancements in sporting technology in future. Um, can you see anything on the uh, the imminent horizon that would make sport viewing uh, more accessible or better? Yeah, I, I, I do think um, the personalization aspect, the, the, the object-based broadcasting aspect of IP, where you can break down content into separate packages to give people choice, will be a big step forward. I think 5G um, becoming more available will also help with this, you know, wherever you are, whatever device you are, and you can get that best experience. And I think using that, and, and as my analogy earlier about moving from broadcasting one-to-many to one-to-one, we'll see big advancements in how fans feel more engaged with the event. You'll feel there'll be aspects where you'll feel more like you're at an event um, and, you know, more social experience. And I think that's really exciting. Um, And I suppose finally, um, are we going to be seeing the BT Sport app go to even further amount of devices in in the near future? Uh, I think um, it would be, uh, obvious to state that, that we would want to make sure that BT Sport is available on as many platforms that are out there. So so we'll always be looking to to ensure that we can deliver the widest reach and choice for our customers. When the Motorola Razr burst back onto the scene in 2019, some 15 years after the original, we were enamoured by the iconic clamshell in its newfangled form. Now the Razr is back once more but with second generation 5G and making inroads to improve some of its predecessor's shortcomings. Hopefully there's a fix for the limited battery life, the crunchy screen unfolding sounds, the second display functionality, the so-so cameras among other things. That's what the customers were wanting, but has Motorola delivered? Mike has been using the phone and is here to give us his first impressions. Well, so the original Razer came out in what, 2005, so about 15 years ago. <laughs> And that was like a classic phone. It became like really iconic. So when Motorola released the Razer back at the end of 2019, it was one of those kind of really exciting moments. Um, it didn't really kick off that that well, though, in a way, because it had a few little issues. So this update is the, the 2020 version. It's the 5G variant. Um, but Motorola's fixed a few little things that were a bug in the, in the first one, things like the screen making a bit of noise when you unfold the phone. Um, obviously, as the name says, they've added 5G. Um, but that's not necessarily the biggest takeaway from it. It's kind of like they've improved the battery, they've gone a bit deeper with the software, um, and it's still just this really sort of standout, eye-catching phone that you probably won't see that often because it's certainly expensive, but it still kind of harks back to this nostalgic kind of time in wrapped up in a whole new form that will kind of still excite um, you know, tech heads, really. And I think that's the first question or the big question I have is... is... Last year, 2019, foldable phones were going to be the thing. We went to MWC, the big mobile phone trade show in Barcelona, and they were everywhere. It was the Huawei Mate X, wasn't it? There was the the 
teaser razor there was rumors from xiaomi there was all these you know different things then we kind of got through to the end of 2019 and it, it kind of felt that the ones that had launched were kind of then delayed or they were they launched with Samsung launched their fold and it broke quickly because reviewers didn't know they weren't supposed to peel the screen off and all those kind of things. And here we are kind of, I suppose, almost a year later after that initial announcement from Razer with it there playing on the nostalgia stuff. So is the, what are the benefits of having one over what most people have probably got in their pockets, you know, a standard glass slab of six sides? Um, I think there's a couple of ways of looking at it because Ultimately, phones have just grown and grown and grown in size over the years. And um, in a way, the, the sort of principal idea of a folding phone is how to have that really massive screen but without having that kind of huge slate in your pocket. Um, the Razer is a little bit different because it's a small device that then unfolds to be kind of a normal size phone. So you kind of, in, in this regard, you get a, a different way of using it because you've got the big screen on the inside but actually when it's folded down, you also have what they call the quick view display on the outside, which you can interact with. So the way I've kind of been thinking about it and the more I've been using it, it's almost like having, let's say, an Apple Watch and an iPhone kind of in the one device because you leave it folded down okay. and you start sort of doing little tidbits on the you know, notifications coming on the screen and you can dismiss them and so on. And then if it's something more important, you can flip the phone open and get the full screen kind of display. Um, whether that's going to be a real must-have for most people, honestly, is quite unlikely, but it's still quite exciting because it's just that really different way of working. And do you find so that's so you you've it sounds like you actually quite like it. I and, do, you know. yeah, I do. It's sort of because it's like nothing else, and and the thing is, it might just sound completely illogical to have something like that, but the more I've kind of existed alongside it the more yeah. i'm using it in a certain way and it's like oh it kind of does make sense i'm not sure i'd buy one because you know they're 1400 pounds um but i like but that's it akin to uh that's akin to a brand you know state-of-the-art flagship model like the galaxy s20 or the iphone 11 i'm sure the iphone 12s when they come out shortly are going to be in the you know thousand to fifteen hundred pound for the top models so it kind of fits there but it's it's that did you enjoy the nostalgia moment of, of flipping that screen open or does that become tiresome because you're so used to just picking up your phone, tapping it and seeing what's going on? Um, it's not that difficult to do. It's not a barrier. So I haven't really minded and people really notice. I think in a way this phone is kind of a little bit of a, a look at me kind of phone. You know, it's, a, it's almost like a statement piece as much as it is a practical device. So, you know, there's obviously downsides of having something in this format, but at the same time, there's kind of upsides in just kind of the excitement of it to some degree. And I didn't think I'd maybe like it as much as I am, but that's kind of what's great about some of these things sometimes. And I'm not sure if it's just nostalgia or if it really is a mixture of things. Okay, so that's all the good things. We always have to take the rough with the smooth. What what don't you like about it? It's really because ultimately it's a folding phone, right? And folding screens, um, have inherent problems because of what they're made from. So this one is inside internal to the device. So you unfold it. Um, they've actually done a really good job of keeping it flat and like fairly smooth. It's pretty decent in that regard. But the type of screen is called POLED, which is plastic OLED, um, mm -hmm. which effectively means it's coated in plastic. 
um, in our UK dark summers, not a problem. But actually, when the sun came out the other day, it's quite reflective, like almost a bit too reflective. And that's a bit of a counter against it, because ultimately, you can buy a phone for the same price or less, it's got a much nicer screen overall. So you're kind of getting this exciting technology because it unfolds. But also, you've got to kind of take the rough with the smooth and understand that it's not going to be perhaps as good as some other things out there, especially in a year where everyone's rushing towards, you know, 90 hertz, 120 hertz, fast refresh displays that does not exist here. And so overall, is who should buy this? People who want to stand out and be different and have a different way of thinking, nostalgic people. Um, although I've kind of you know, dwelled on the price a little bit, it's actually cheaper than, than the original one from last year by £100 or $100 in the States. Um, so you're not really getting that 5G tax, which is kind of a good sign for perhaps how ubiquitous 5G is going to become in the not-too-distant future. Well, that's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip-pip. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.